join me in prayer one more time before we read the word. Oh Lord, we together say amen to the prayer that we have just sung, asking that you would open our minds and hearts to your word, that by that word we might be guided uh, to do your will and to glorify you in life. And so as we come now to the reading of scripture, we pray that as it is your word to us, our minds and hearts would be open to it, that your spirit would enable us to understand, profit from it, and to live by faith in Jesus Christ because of it. Uh, we pray in his name. Amen. Uh, I'm not going to read the passage from Ezekiel. I don't think we need all that. Um, reading from Isaiah uh, 44 really is background. Uh, we could have picked any of several passages uh, to show the Old Testament's uh, prediction and promise of the coming gift of the Holy Spirit. This is written by Isaiah 700 years before Jesus came. Uh, but with the coming of Jesus, with his death and resurrection, his rising again to the right hand of the Father in glory, he sent the Holy Spirit to his church in fulfillment of this promise. So this is uh, the promise God gave through Isaiah that we give thanks has been fulfilled. But now, O Jacob, my servant, Israel whom I have chosen, Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb, and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob my servant, Jeshurun whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on the thirsty land, and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your offspring, and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. This one will say, I am the Lord's. And another will call on the name of Jacob or on the name of the God of Jacob. And another will write on his hand, the Lord's, and name himself by the name of Israel. But we, the church of Jesus Christ, are the heirs to that promise. We are the Israel of God. Give thanks to God. And now the passage from which we will be, to which we'll be devoting our attention uh, in a few moments. Romans 8, I read 1 through 17, and then also 28 through 30. This is the word of the Lord, so give heed. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit 
set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, or brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Verse 28, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those brothers, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Praise be to God. May the Holy Spirit help us uh, to glorify him through the reading of this word. I want to talk about the leading of the Holy Spirit, which the passage we just read talks about. It's one of two uh, in the New Testament scriptures uh, that speak to us in a didactic uh, or prescriptive way. Uh, I was a freshman at UCLA. I did the math 62 years ago. It didn't seem that long. Uh, that was the fall that I came to faith in Christ, uh, largely through the ministry of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Long Beach, California. Uh, and I got involved in University Christian Fellowship on campus almost immediately. Uh, made some very good friends there. 
Uh, but I was very new to the Christian faith, and I encountered things that impressed me, made raised questions in my mind. Uh, one person, a man named Millard, Millard Parrish, who was the son of a four-square gospel minister, it's a Pentecostal church, uh, he was their organist, uh, he would, you know, come into uh, maybe a bunch of us having coffee or to an IVF meeting. He'd come in and say, boy, the most wonderful thing happened this morning. I was, this, this is a quote, almost a quote. I, I was uh, walking to my first class this morning, and the Holy Spirit told me to speak to that person sitting on a bench. And uh, so I said, okay, Lord, I'll do it. And I sat down, I shared the gospel with him, and he uh, prayed uh, uh, the little uh, four spiritual laws prayer of, of uh, confessing Christ inviting him into his heart uh, and I thought wow the Holy Spirit spoke to him that's never happened to me I wonder what that's like um, and, and he didn't mean that in some metaphorical way I mean he he meant <laughs> he meant it um, so you may have had you know people you may have had good acquaintances good, good Christian friends uh, believers who, who uh, claim to have such experiences and you wonder well I never have what's wrong with me uh, or maybe you, you do have these things happen to you uh, so stay tuned um, there are a number of ways that people conceive of the Holy Spirit leading God's people uh, another one that I ran across in, in those years at UCLA University was the idea that if you have an important decision to make like should I go to graduate school and get a job? Uh, should I marry this guy or that guy? Or you know, they both propose to me. What do I do? Uh, you've got a big decision to make. You want the Lord uh, to lead you. You need to pray for the Spirit to lead you. And and then th this expression, praying through. Have you heard it? The expression, praying through. So you pray and you pray and you pray and you pray until you have peace in your heart with one of the options. Well, that, okay, that's the Holy Spirit saying, I gave you peace about that option, so that's, that's what I want you to do. Uh, my observation in some of these cases was that the Holy Spirit gave people peace regarding the option they wanted to do anyway. Uh, and uh, so it's a danger. You see, that, that, that kind of thing, it's, it's highly subjective that you think that you're obeying God when you follow it. Uh, I want to make an important distinction before we dive into the passage in Romans. And that is the distinction that we need to make when we read scripture between descriptive statements and passages and prescriptive statements and passages. Uh, the Gospels and Acts uh, contain any number of events where the Holy Spirit did in fact directly lead uh, people. Uh, the Holy Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Uh, that's a pretty direct leading by the Spirit that was indwelling him. Uh, the Holy Spirit on, on an occasion uh, told Paul who was going to go this direction, not to go there, but to go that direction and preach in another place. It was uh, very objective. It wasn't subjective on his part. We read that in Acts. Now, in the life of our Lord, in his redeeming work while on earth, and in the life of the apostles, uh, 
These were singular events in the history of redemption. Uh, they are descriptive, but they do not present things necessarily that are normative for all believers. Uh, Jesus sent disciples out two by two to the villages uh, to preach. Uh, that is not prescribing that we always do evangelism two by two. Uh, now there's wisdom in having more than one person engage in it, but it's not a command. It's what Jesus had them do. Uh, Romans 8.14 and Galatians 5.18, in their context, we'll get to Galatians 5.18, uh, these are the uh, only two passages uh, that I've ever found in the uh, New Testament scriptures uh, that are didactic and prescriptive in their nature. Uh, regarding how we should understand the gift and the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of all believers. So, in the lives of all believers. Point number one. God's gift to all his redeemed children. Verse 14 of Romans 8. I should probably open my Bible so you think I'm getting this. From, I printed everything out in large print. <laughs> uh, Romans 8, 14 says... For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now grammatically, what we have just read is an, an equation. You could turn it around. All who are sons of God are being led by the Spirit of God. It works both ways. It's not like God is love, but we can't turn it around and say love is God. Now, this is one that really is uh, an equation. The two parts apply to the same people. So if you are a child of God, then you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you and guiding you. If you do not have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you and guiding you, then you are not a child of God. So the experience of being led by the Spirit of God is not for an elite, uh, a privilege for some within the congregation, uh, within the Christian community who have received a baptism of the Holy Spirit, a second blessing after their conversion. That was true for the apostles on Pentecost and others on whom they laid their hands and you read the book of Acts, I'm not going to do it for you, uh, read through the book of Acts and see that. Uh, but in Romans 8, this is not presented as something that is a blessing for some believers, and others may be praying for it. This is a blessing that is an adoption right, a right of adoption for the sons and daughters of God. Verses 15 and 16 uh, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. Verse 16, the spirit bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. So if you are children of God, the spirit bears witness in your heart. 
The Spirit sets you free from slavish legalism to call upon God in prayer as Father. The Spirit is leading you. You are a child of God. Praise the Lord for this gift of the Holy Spirit and this gift of the work of the Holy Spirit within the children of God. It was all purchased for us by Christ in his suffering on the cross. If Christ had made no atonement for our sin, we would not have any gift of the Holy Spirit, but would be living in darkness and under the wrath of God without any hope. But Christ in his death on the cross purchased for us all the heavenly blessings of God, which come to us in very large measure by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we're focusing on one aspect of that this morning. The Holy Spirit was sent by Christ from his throne at the Father's right hand in glory. The Apostle Peter announced this fact on the day of Pentecost as the day that the Holy Spirit came down upon the church, not just the apostles, but the whole church. And Peter says to the crowd that was assembled, Christ, being exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Spirit, he has poured out this which you yourselves are now seeing and hearing. Christ did it. We owe it, owe it to him. Well, secondly, what, what is the leading of the Spirit about? Well, point number two, the leading of the Spirit is about sin and godliness. Uh, not promoting sin, but dealing with sin in our lives in godliness. Now, I think, you know, we'd all love it if God had given us a, a crystal ball to give infallible guidance in big decisions. Uh, sorry, no crystal ball. What the Spirit is actually doing in the children of God. That's what we want to focus our attention on. What is the Spirit actually doing? And so we read in verses 12 and following, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh. That is, we don't owe sin a thing. We don't owe what remains of our Adamic fallen sinful nature a single thing that we should heed it, follow its cravings, and so on. Verse 13, for to live according to the flesh, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. That is, if your sinful nature, if your sinful desires are guiding you in life, and that's the pattern of your life, then Christ is not yet dwelling in you by faith. You haven't yet surrendered and been converted. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But, but, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Spirit enables God's sons and daughters to put to death the deeds of the body and truly live in union with Christ. 
Now that's that's strong language. That's that's even violent language. Uh, put to death the deeds of the body. Uh, not quite as strong is uh, what we read in Colossians. Ah, Colossians. In, in Colossians chapter 3. But here again he says, Put to death, therefore, what is early, earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things the wrath of God is coming, and these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self, or the old man. You've put off the man you were in Adam with its practices and have put on the new self the new person you are in union with Christ which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator uh, I said the language was a little softer than uh, Romans no put to death <laughs> both passages say put to death uh, and then Colossians is useful because it spells out He's not talking about mutilating the body. You could, you could misinterpret Romans 8 in, 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 in an overly literal way. Uh, he's not talking about mutilation. He's talking about repenting of sin, putting away sin. Uh, praying that the Holy Spirit will convict us of our sins and enable us to turn from them and to put on a new obedience uh, in Christ. We see something very similar in Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, the passage uh, that tells us about the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, it's a great passage. But it also tells us about the struggle that we have spiritually while we still live this side of heaven. Uh, Galatians 5. I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh that is in the conduct of your life in the conduct of your life you want to be guided by and empowered by the Holy Spirit who dwells in you for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to one another to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So why do we have conflict in our hearts, in our behavior? Why do we say, Lord, I, I just hate it when, when that temptation comes up and I, I give in to it? Uh, well, it's because there's this warfare going on within you between the old desires of your sinful nature when you were lost in Adam and the new desires which the Holy Spirit is working in you. And uh, there is conflict, there is frustration. But he goes on to say, now if the works, now the works of the flesh are, oh, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. That's encouraging. That's encouraging. If the Spirit has given you life in Christ, 
Though you struggle with remaining sinful desires and habits, and it causes you guilt and shame until you resolve it before God in prayer, though that's true, the Holy Spirit unites you to Christ. And Christ bore the judgment of God on your sin in your place and for you, so you are not under condemnation. You are not under the law and its condemning power. He specifies the works of the flesh, and then he goes on in verse uh, 22 and following to speak of the fruit of the Spirit, what the Spirit produces in God's children. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. I noticed the other day that Pastor Michael had this one memorized, but I don't have it down cold. I've got to read it. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ, who belong to Christ Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. For if we live by the Spirit, that is, if the Holy Spirit has made us alive, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And I think that's a really Mickey Mouse translation, personally. Uh, let us walk by the Spirit, is literally what the Greek says. And what it means is, let us seek to have our life guided and empowered by the Holy Spirit. To be led by him and, and to go where he leads. Let us not, let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Well, that speaks to the issues in the churches that Paul's writing to. And maybe it speaks to us too, huh? Uh, so here's a pattern in scripture. That the focus of the Holy Spirit's work in, the, in these two passages, his leading, about his leading, in Romans 8 and in Galatians 5. The focus is on our warfare against remaining sin. Uh, and the Spirit's work in enabling us to wage that war against the flesh, uh, to be convicted of our sin, to repent of our sin, to put it off, to turn from the deeds of the flesh and produce more and more with the Spirit's help, the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, sanctification. Christ and the Father have given us the Holy Spirit to be the mighty worker of transformation in our inner beings, our hearts, our minds, our understanding, and resulting outward lives, our words and actions. Well, what about decision-making? Well, we'll talk about that after point three. But for right now, give thanks that God didn't do it this way. I sent my son to die for your sins on the cross. I sent the Holy Spirit to bring you to faith in Christ and repentance. You're on your own now. You better, you better walk the straight and narrow or else. God has given us the Holy Spirit. We are not alone in this world. If you were alone on a desert island, you would not be alone. If you were alone in a prison in North Korea, a Christian believer, you would not be alone. 
because God has given you the Holy Spirit to dwell in you and you can pray, we can all pray, we should pray for his work in us to humble us, to subdue us, to convict us, to reveal Christ, his beauty, his work, his grace, all that he has done and accomplished, all that he is doing now, enabling new obedience and growth in him. Well, point number three, the Holy Spirit uses means, uh, more than one kind of means. Uh, he uses our fellow Christians to encourage us, to help us, and so on. Uh, but in Romans 8, uh, the attention uh, is focused on one means in particular, and that is uh, the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to sanctify God's people. Now, uh, look carefully at Romans 8, uh, verses 3 and 4. Uh, verse 3 tells us what God has done in that the law couldn't deliver us from our sin because of our sin, the weakness of our flesh. The law is able to point out our sin. That's the point that Paul makes at the end of, or in the middle of Romans 3. The law can point out our sin, but it can't deliver us from it. And so God has done what the law could not do, sending his son, in the, uh, sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. It's very careful language, isn't it? As much like us as he could be, but with no sin. <laughs> I think that's the point. In the likeness of sinful flesh, he, God the Father, he condemned sin in the flesh. Do I deserve God's condemnation? Yes, I do, but I am in Christ. And there is therefore now no condemnation to me, verse 1. My sin has been condemned in the flesh of Christ. I am justified by faith. I am forgiven and cleansed. For what reason has God done this? Well, for more than one reason, I expect. But here in Romans 8, 3 and 4, verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled, the preposition here is important, in us. For our justification, the righteousness of the law was fulfilled by Christ for us. But here, the right, God's purpose in condemning our sin in Christ, in justifying us by faith, God's purpose is that the righteousness of the law, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. We're not on our own, locked up with our sinful habits and desires to somehow find the strength to live the way we should. We've been granted the Holy Spirit who works within us. As Paul says, God works in us both to will and to do his good pleasure, Philippians chapter 2. So the Spirit works in us to give us holy desires and to give us strength to fulfill those desires. And what do those desires 
What's, what's, what's the revealed guide for those desires? It's the law of God. The law of God reveals our sin, warns us of hell, calls us to faith in Christ who fulfilled it for us. We say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. How can I show my thanks? Here's how you can show your thanks. That law that condemned you, it's now my guide for how you should live thanksgiving to me. And the Holy Spirit works in us that we may desire that and do that more and more. Now, not perfect in this life, but genuine. We look forward to when it will be perfect in the presence of God. Hebrews, Hebrews 12 speaks of those who have gone before us into heaven and are now made perfect in the presence of God. Someday, I look forward to that. The Spirit enlightens. He gives holy desires. He gives enabling power to us, otherwise helpless sinners, to obey the righteous commands of God found in his law. And as, I've said, as I said before we read Romans 12, the law of God is all those imperatives in Scripture that apply to us. Summarized in the Ten Commandments, but much more. Uh, as we conduct our lives along the path laid out for us by the Spirit, revealed to us in the law of God throughout Scripture. Psalm 119, uh, verse 105, could be the Christian's declaration. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now, does this relate to our decision-making? I said I'd say something about that. It does. It does. But it's not a crystal ball. Uh, another verse from Psalm 119, this time verse 11. Your word have I stored in my heart that I might not sin against you. Using the word, the gospel, and in particular, especially the gospel of God's grace in Jesus Christ, as we hear and read and ponder and store the word in our hearts. See, that's more than coming to church and hearing a sermon once in a while. It's taking the fact that the Bible is God's word to us. And when we read it, God is speaking to us to make promises and to govern us and to change us. So as we hear and read and ponder and store the word in our hearts, what happens? Our values, our goals for life, our desires are being shaped and reformed by the Spirit of God using the word. And in our hearts, more and more, <coughs> the Spirit finds truth built up within us which he is well able to call to our minds when we need it. And I think often, you know, I mentioned people who believe the, the, you know, the Holy Spirit is supernaturally guiding them uh, to make decisions to do things. And I think often what it is, is they spend a lot of time reading the Word. Its values, the goals it would have a person have for their life, they've just 
they've just sunk into their heart, into their soul, into their understanding. They face a situation, the Spirit of God pokes the verse that's <laughs> appropriate. And they say, I think God's guiding me to do this. And, well, they're right. <laughs> but it's not, uh, well, back to the, back to the sermon. <laughs> Uh, before before when we lived in the darkness of sinful unbelief what guided us peer pressure our decision making was guided by worldly wisdom sinful desires idolatrous greed for money for pleasure for the approval of others maybe our Behavior toward others was guided by jealousy, anger, resentment. And we always felt justified in those things. But now that we have come to Christ, now that we have come to Christ, I'm speaking to believers, now that we have come to Christ, uh, the Holy Spirit is producing a whole other way of thinking about life and what we want out of life. And how we want to serve the Lord and make our lives count and bring glory to Him. So what guides us now? Spirit-given desire to honor and please God. To have our lives display His grace, truth, and glory. So let's suppose someone faces two options. Maybe two job offers. One might involve a move, the other one not a move, and things like all kinds of very all kinds of variables. Two options, or maybe two marriage proposals. Uh, so, what do I do? I pray the Spirit would enlighten my heart and mind. I pray that He would lead me as I search the Scriptures to see what ought to be guiding me in this decision. Uh, by which of these choices can I best use the gifts God has given me? Which will best enable me to obey and serve God and live for his glory? Or the opposite, which would present a serious temptations. So maybe I'm, I'm offered $80,000 a year to manage a bar uh, with a lot of seedy people in it. Probably not that much money, right? Uh, or I'm offered maybe $40,000 to do something that would really be counting to help people in this world and not entail temptations to uh, drunkenness and so on. That's an ex Those are extreme examples. But you see the point. Now, most often, I think, all options may seem to present, when carefully and prayerfully weighed out, may seem to present equal opportunities to obey and serve the Lord and equal dangers to temptation. Oh dear, what do I do now? Put out fleece. If you know what I mean, the answer is no. If you don't know what I mean, read Judges. Uh, no. Uh, I say what we do now is just decide. Just decide. Uh, and then don't look back. Uh, 
You pick one option, you leave the consequences to God and his good providence. The Holy Spirit's great aim is to lead you in godliness and growth in grace. Not to a place where you can say, the Holy Spirit told me to do such and such and I have to obey. In a sense, and I say this reverently, the Holy Spirit doesn't care what you decide. Whether options are balanced like that. He cares that you walk in the path of thankful obedience to the Word of God. So, what's the goal of the Spirit's leading? Three things. The path laid out for our lives in Christ, the path along which the Holy Spirit guides us, leads us more and more to be conformed to the image of Christ. We read that in Romans 8, 29. As believers in Christ, we know that all things work together for our good. For those, excuse me, those whom he foreknew, this is why I print large print copy. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be firstborn among many brethren. Conformed to the image of Christ. That is God's purpose for us before the foundation of the world in his great predestining work. Where do we find the image of Christ? It's not an icon on a church wall. The image of Christ is what scripture shows us of his life, his conduct, his ministry, his love, his sacrifice for our sins, his glory at the right hand of the Father. That's where we see the image of Christ. And what is that image? Well, you could say in a nutshell, it is his obedience to the Father through his whole life and all the way to the cross for us and for our salvation. His obedience to the Father and his obedience to the law of God, which is part of his obedience to the Father. That's a model for us. Christ lived and died to save us from our sins. Christ also lived and died to provide us a model of the righteous life. He kept the law perfectly for us. That's our justification that we might more and more keep it for him, for his glory. And certainly when we read Galatians 5 about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, all the rest, long-suffering, patience, self-control. When we read of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, we are seeing a portrait of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the, that's the image to which the Holy Spirit would conform us, in which we need to meditate on and take to heart and pray 
that uh, that fruit would be appearing more and more in our lives and in our behavior, conduct, attitudes, relations with other people. But I think more can be said about being conformed to the image of Christ. Romans 8, 17 and 18. Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are God's children. Verse 17, and if heirs, if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided what? Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now we can't go back 2,000 years and be nailed to the cross with him. That's not what's meant. But to suffer uh, the consequences of living in a, in a fallen world, uh, sin, sickness, misery, and so on, in Christ, to bear these things for Christ, in the power Christ gives, and, and if we are mistreated for his sake, if we are persecuted for his sake, not to resent the providence of God that's put us in that place, but to say, I count it a privilege, say this with the apostles, I count it a privilege to suffer for my Savior. Philippians 2 underlines this. Philippians 2, uh, verse 1. I typed it out. Philippians 2. Have this mind in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped and he held on to, but emptied himself, emptied himself of his glory, not of his divine being, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That's the path we are called to follow. Christ, in his life on earth, was born to lowliness and raised to glory. We live in this world now to be conformed to the image of Christ, the servant, the one who loved and gave himself for others. Glory will come when we are raised at his coming. We are called and enabled by the Spirit of God to take up crosses and follow Christ in humble service, self-sacrificing love for others and for the honor of Christ our Savior. Let us pray. Our Father, we confess that in your word you set before us a very high standard. and call us to endeavor to pursue it. But we thank you that our hope for this is not in our strength, but in the saving work of our Savior and in the gift of your Holy Spirit and in your Father's love and watch care over us. So we pray that we may gladly and joyfully and thankfully embrace the calling to be conformed to the likeness, to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. And we look forward to the day 
when that will be full and complete and wonderful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.